Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. So today I want to talk to you about this simple idea of what's in your hand. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the account. I don't really like calling it a story because it makes it sound like it's a fairy tale or a made-up story. Now it's an account. It's a historical account of what happened. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now that day we learned that Jesus fed 5,000, but it was the men that were accounted for. It's just the way they did it back then in the Bible. So if you add the women and the children, it was more likely twenty to 25,000 people that were fed with a few loaves of bread and fish. And it was a miracle that was done. And when the disciples brought the problem to Jesus, and I think that's the first thing that we got to remember is when you have a problem, you bring it to Jesus. When the disciples brought the problem to Jesus that we've got to feed these, this massive people here, how are we going to do that? Jesus didn't make a McDonald's appear. Like it didn't just poof and, you know, poof. There was a, a, a buffet table in front for everybody. That didn't happen. When, the, when they brought the problem to Jesus, Jesus looked back at them and he said, well, what do you have? What do you have? And I think the problem that we are having as a society is we've become selfish. And we've become used to the microwave. Now listen, I'll be the first one to tell you that my wife is very impatient. Me, I am the picture of patience. Like when you look patience up in the dictionary, my face is beside it. Like I am the most patient person in the world. Okay, I'm lying. I'm not. But like we, we want this. We want it. We want it now. We want somebody else to solve our problem. We want somebody else to take care of our issue. We want somebody. We Google it. We, you know, we, we just figure out we want to. We want, it, we want it taken care of now. And the problem is, that's not the way God necessarily works because he looked at the disciples and he said, okay, you want these people fed, well, what do you have? And you need to understand this, that what you have will be insufficient to meet the need. You have to bring it to God. That's a freebie. It's not even in my notes. But whatever you have will be insufficient to meet the need on your own. That's why you, that's why you keeping your tithe, keeping your money, because it's your money, it'll be insufficient to meet the need. But if you bring it to God and you dedicate it to Him, He will bless it. And that's what happens with the disciples. The disciples bring the basket of the loaves and the fish to Jesus. And they gave it. And what did Jesus do? He took it and he blessed it. He presented it to the God, the Father, and then he handed it back. And as the disciples were giving it away, it multiplied. And that's such a thing for us to understand. And so I think it's really important that we also understand this. The what do you have question has been really asked since the beginning of time. What's in your hand? Think about Adam. When Adam was placed in the garden, 
What did he have to do? He had to till the ground. He had to work the garden. He had to do the work. The work that he did, God blessed. Noah. Noah had to build the ark. God supplied the supplies. God supplied the animals to fill it. But Noah had to actually do the work and God blessed it. Think about Elijah on Mount Carmel when he was defeating the 850 false prophets. Elijah had to build the altar. He had to pray. He had to ask God. But God sent the fire down. So Elijah did and God blessed it. In the New Testament, you have all the disciples. They would have to travel. They would have to preach. They would have to do the ministry. They would have to endure hardships. They would all die, except for John, because of the gospel, because of their relationship with Jesus. But the point is, is they did the work and what? God blessed it. God blesses what we bring to Him. God blesses what we dedicate to Him. And so He's been asking this, what do you have? And we have this idea that we just want God to solve our problems. We want to rub the magic lamp, right? And the genie to come out. We want to give our three wishes and we want what we want and we want it now. But really and truly what God wants to do is He wants to use what He has already supplied to you, but He wants you to bring it to Him so that He can bless it. Please don't miss that because we're really going to spend the rest of the day talking about it. And there's this... Example in the Bible where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he has this question. He says, good teacher, what what good thing, watch, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good thing must I do? What What can I give? What can I work? What can I do? Who do I know? What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? How many of you know the only way you're going to have eternal life is not based on what you do or what you have done or who you know, but it's on what Jesus has already done for you and knowing him. So he, being Jesus, he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is, no one is but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus is setting them up here. I'll show you what I mean. And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, which ones? So Jesus says, you shall not murder, commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Guy's like, do you know who you're talking to? You know, man, he's all these I've kept from my youth. Check. But what do I still lack? So I'm following all the rules. I'm doing all the things. I've done everything the way they've taught me to. I've kept all the rules the way they've said to. I have done all of those commandments. Why am I still missing something? Why do I not feel complete? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Follow me. Remember, believing is one thing. Following is different. You can believe something and not change your behavior. You can believe something and not change your direction. But if you follow, that changes the way you're going. It changes how you behave. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Because he had great 
possessions. This was a young man who had it all. This is a young man. He had wealth. He had power. He was making his own decisions. The Bible says he's a rich, young ruler. He had everything that the world says was important, but look, he's still missing something. It's why he came to Jesus. He said, okay, I've kept all the rules, but I'm still missing something. Let me tell you why. If we hold out on what on God, we miss out on everything he wants to do in us, for us, and through us. Like what, this isn't a question, so we're clear. This isn't a question about having wealth and being poor. This isn't a question about, ooh, money is evil. No, 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 the love of money is evil, right? God blesses us and gives us resources so that we can bless others. Which means that you have to have an open-handed life, which means you want to be a generous person. We talk a lot about generosity because generosity will change your life and it will change the lives of those you're generous to. It's how God chose to do things. We'll talk about that. The young man, the young ruler, he was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. And that's the problem. This man knew all the rules. He knew all the scriptures. He had been raised in Sunday school. He knew all the Sunday school answers. The problem was, is he was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. He had no relationship with God. He only had rules to follow. You can do nothing wrong and not do anything right. Y'all know that, right? Like I can be a perfectly good person. I can be generous. I can feed the homeless. I can serve time and do it in the, in the, in the soup kitchen. I can give all of my clothes to, to the shelters. I can do all those things and not do anything wrong, but if you don't have a relationship with God, you're just busy. Like you're doing all those things and God may use you, but He's not going to bless you because you don't have a relationship with Him. That's what this guy was doing. He was doing all, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He just wasn't doing the right things because he wasn't following Jesus. He had no relationship with Him. So righteousness is doing right. Let me see if I can stress this. Righteousness is doing what's right. Righteousness is living right. It's living a godly life. It's pleasing to God. Religion is just not doing anything wrong. Religion is about keeping the rules. Religion is about we were having a conversation yesterday with somebody, and, and you know the way we were raised, religion says, ladies, most of y'all ain't getting into heaven right now because you got pants on. And all y'all done cut your hair. Oh, man. And I watched a movie the other night, so that means I'm not getting in either. It's a list of rules. 
And so I think, I won't group you in my category, I think the way that I grew up thinking about religion, I thought about religion when people that, you know, recited prayers and wore robes and like, you know, had big pipe organs in the back. And I thought that, that was my definition of what religion, but that's not just what religion is. Religion is also about putting out a list of rules and expecting people to follow your standard. Whereas relationship is about loving God and the love for God drives your behavior. The love of God should drive your behavior. My love for Sonia drives my behavior around her, with her, and without her. You understand that, right? Generosity is living an open-handed life. You being a generous person is the way that God set things up. And you have a choice every single day to either do things that will draw you closer to God or make you drift away from Him. You remember way back when, some of you may remember, we, we, we had this statement where we said, all you have to do to drift is nothing. When you go to the beach and you walk out into the ocean, you're not, you're not swimming. If you're like me, you're like looking for sharks and your seaweed's brushing by your leg and you're doing this. That don't happen in the mountains, y'all. You can go in the lake and you don't have to worry about that junk. But you're doing this and you're freaking out and you're hearing jaws in your mind. Anybody? Nobody? Come on, 80s kids. You, gotta, you hear jaws in your mind and you're just thinking jaws is going to come and attack you, take you under, right? You think all of that's going to happen and you're just doing this. You're not doing anything other than just standing and you turn around and you look and your beach chair's way up there. The beach didn't move, you did. And you didn't do anything. You didn't swim this way. The current just drifted you this way. All you have to do to drift is nothing. And I just want to challenge you today that the decisions you make every single day will determine whether you're getting closer to God or you're drifting away from Him. Even the small, insignificant ones about who you choose to go to lunch with. Fellas, ladies, married men, married women. Who you choose to go to lunch with. Who you choose to fuss about your spouse to who you choose to go on a coffee break with the things you listen to the things you watch the places you go all that matters and you're either drawing closer to God or you're drifting away from him and what God so wants for you and from you is dedication for you to open up his word every single day read it Listen to it on your phone. Pray, worship, serve, give, have community. That's what's going to make you successful. So there's the rich young ruler in the New Testament. We see that example. He wasn't willing to give up. He wasn't willing to give anything to follow Jesus. But we have an example in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses, may have heard of him, probably so, right? And most of us know his story. And if I'm honest with you, one of my favorite movies 
is the Prince of Egypt. And it's a cartoon. And I like it. Because it tells the story. And it does it really well. And this Prince of Egypt, Moses, we, we probably know the story of what happened in the beginning. Like, you know, he was born at a time when Pharaoh didn't want any more guys around anymore of the Israelites because they were growing too big in number. And he says, you know what? Uh, they're getting too many of them, so all the little babies, we're going to kill them. We're going to do that. And so all the ones under two is going to murder. And then he, he instructed the midwives that any baby boys that were born, that they were to murder them. But God spared Moses because, listen to me, God had a plan for Moses. And God's plan for Moses didn't stop with Moses. It started with Moses. And it not only revolved around Moses, but it affected those around Moses. Can I just tell you something? That what God is calling you to is bigger than you? What God is calling you to do isn't just for you. It's for those that are around you. So we have Moses, the here am I moment, right? Like he's walking through, he's tending the sheep, and, and we'll get to the story in a second, but he's tending the sheep in, in a burning bush that wasn't consumed. A voice comes out of it. I don't know about y'all, but that would freak me out, right? And, and so he goes, Moses, Moses, you know, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And, and, and Moses says, here am I. He was this willingness to say, okay, here am I, Lord. I'm here. What do you want me to do? So Moses, God calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh's house. We'll tell the story. Go back to Pharaoh's house and, and the let my people go speech. And, and he's going to lead the people out of bondage of, of Egypt. And so that happens in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses is like, well, what if they don't listen to me? So Moses says, suppose, suppose they don't, will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? There it is. Right? Like, what's in your hand? What do you have? And he said, a rod. And God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Me too. Like, we are not, y'all bring out the snakes, we making doors. Right? Then, he, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out, took it, caught it, and it became a rod again. And he said, Jesus, God said, basically, I did this so they'll believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What's in your hand? Moses throwing down his rod doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but it would have been to him. Like it would have been a really big deal to throw down his rod. And you contrast that with what the rich young ruler did who wasn't willing to give up anything. He wasn't willing to change his life. He wasn't willing to change his lifestyle to give up anything to reach his neighbor. Moses gave up everything. God's calling for you, God's calling is for you and those you are called to. Now, i got to be honest with you. I know God is perfect. I know God has never made a mistake. But if it were me, I would not do it like God has chosen to do it. 
God chose to use his creation to reach his creation. If it were me, I'd send the angels. And by the way, when we're talking about angels, we're not talking about the little fat baby that you put up on the Christmas tree. You know, the, the, the Cupid looking thing with the wings and the fat and the doing the playing the harp. That's not what we're talking about. Because the, when the Bible says that the angel appeared to men and women, what'd they do? They got that on their face because they were scared. So I don't think a fat baby with wings and playing the harp is the one that's going to scare anybody, right? Like, that's not what I Im- imagine when I think about angels. I think about the size of the wall over there, right? Like, I think about big. I think about, That's who I would send. But God chose to use you and God chose to use me to do His call and His work. And because of that, he's given us free will, and we have the, cho- the choice. We decide, like the rich young ruler, to say no, or like Moses and say yes. The decision's up to you. And listen to me. Your decision, when God calls you to do something, it either expedites God's plan or it slows it down. The decisions you make either draw you closer to God or drift away. And you're responsible for other people. God's called you to reach them. He's gifted you uniquely to do good in His kingdom. You don't believe me? Think about Moses. So Moses is born a baby and he's spared and his mom nurses him up until the point where she, she's like, okay, he's getting loud. And she puts him in the basket, floats him down the river. The princess comes, sees the baby, raises him in Pharaoh, uses Pharaoh's house, uses Moses' mom to come and to nurse him. So gets to raise her baby anyway. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house and he's educated in the, in the high class way. Like he knew all the things that he needed to know. And then he goes out, and, and we know that one of the taskmasters was, was like harshly beating one of, one of his brothers, one of the Israelite brotherhood, and, and so he, he killed the taskmaster. And then he was called out about it, and he flees. And he runs, and he's in the desert, and he's in the desert for 40 years, but he learns to navigate the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd, and he learns how to lead the flock through. The, that's not like a thing. That's... That's not like just, oh, yeah, by the way, he became a shepherd. That wasn't by mistake. He became a shepherd. And he learned to navigate leading sheep through the wilderness, through the hard places, fighting off attacks from the enemy. He learned to protect. And then when God shows up in a burning bush and he calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh's house, he was uniquely gifted to go to Pharaoh's house and give the let my people go speech. He was uniquely gifted to lead the people through the wilderness toward the promised land. God had set Moses up in everything that had happened up to that point that equipped him to do exactly what God had called him to do. Your life up to this point may have been filled with mistakes. Like you have, may have made decisions and you may have 
the repercussions of those decisions. But God will use all of that. And if you'll dedicate the now to Him, He'll use you in the future. Because the reality is, is that God may, you may have been through some things that will reach people that I would never have the ability to speak to. Right? Like you may have gone through things. And it doesn't all have to be bad things. We think testimonies have to be, oh, yeah, I got this and I got that. No, 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 no. Sometimes the testimony is, you know what? I was never an idiot. That's not my testimony, by the way. Right? But, but what God has called you to do, he's equipped you to do. And so rather than worrying about the mistakes of your past, why don't you just dedicate the future to him? Look, you're here. You're in church, so you're already watching. You're already here. You're already halfway there. You've already done the hard part. You've got the, the desire to serve. You've got the desire to know more. Why not just take the next step? Why not just say, okay, God, whatever it is, I'm in. Why not just say, whatever it is, God, I'm going to do. Whatever it is, God, I'm going to follow. At this stage in my life, and I think I've proven it, that when God opens a door, I'm going to walk through it. And I'm not just going to walk through it, I'm going to bust through it. You know why? Because at this stage in my life, God has proven himself that I can trust him. And if you'll just trust him to do, he'll do more. More than you can ever do on your own. Here's the contrast. The rich young ruler, he wouldn't give up anything to follow Jesus. Moses, he surrendered everything. The rod that was in his hand, you may think, oh, it's just a walking stick. No, 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 no. It's what he used for his job. It's what he used for his protection. It's what he used to fend off attacks from the enemy it's what he used to correct sheep it's what he used to lead sheep it's what he used to walk in rough terrain he that that rod would have never left his side he would have slept with the rod by his side he would have sat down and took a break with the rod by his side the rod would have never left his side it was his security it was his security blanket if you will and Moses had a decision to make. The same decision that, that the rich young ruler had. He chose no. He wouldn't give up his security to follow Jesus. But Moses had a decision. Am I going to trust and I'm going to obey and I'm going to do what God's commanded me to do by throwing down and giving up control? Or am I going to hold on to what I already have? Are y'all getting this? You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. Any fellow control freaks in the house? Come on, confession time. You hate this sentence as much as I do then. But you know what? You can have faith and you can trust God, or you can have control and you can trust yourself. But you can't have both. If you want God to do something great, 
you got to take your hands off the controls. You just got to trust God to do what he wants to do through you, in you, and for you. God is never late. So I brought my notes up because uh, I'm going to butcher the names, so I'm not even going to try to remember them. True story. In Sweden, about 100 years ago or so, there was a church that sent out two missionary couples to go to, the, to, to Africa to serve the Congo. Their names were David and Sophia Flood and the Ericsons. They macheted their way through the jungle to start a mission to a village that was in the deep, deep jungle of Africa. They were dedicated, they were, they were committed, they had given up everything to go do this thing. But you know what? The villagers, the people that started calling the village people, but I don't, I'm not going to do that. The villagers, some of the youngers were like, who? So they were, they were there and they just weren't responding. And the reason they weren't responding is because the villagers were afraid they were going to upset their tribal gods, little g. They were afraid that if they responded to the gospel, they responded to this, this God that they were preaching, that they, were, they would upset the tribal gods that they had been worshiping all of their life. But every single day, this five-year-old little boy would bring, Mrs. Flood would bring her a basket of eggs. And every day when the little boy would come, she would take the basket of eggs and she would tell the little boy about Jesus. It wasn't long that they were in the jungle that she got pregnant, Mrs. Flood got pregnant, and she was bedridden for most of the time because she was battling malaria, and it's 17 days after Anna, her daughter, was born, she died. Her husband, this is a true story, her husband got so discouraged and so disappointed and so angry and bitter at God that he gave their little baby Anna to the other couple that had, had traveled with him, and he went back to Sweden, and he drowned his sorrows in a bottle. And for 50 years, he just became an alcoholic. Well, this other couple, the Ericsons, raised Anna up until she was a toddler, and then the villagers poisoned that couple, and that couple died. So Anna was given to another missionary couple as a toddler. And eventually that missionary couple came back to the U.S. and they pastored a church in the Dakotas and some other places. And Anna graduated high school. They renamed her Aggie. And, and they, she graduated high school. She went to Bible college. She met her husband, Dewey Hurst. They pastored some churches and became president of a Northwest Bible College up in the Seattle area. And, and, and for their 25th wedding anniversary, the church, the Bible College, sent them to Sweden, her hometown. Like that's, that was her heritage. That was her roots. So they gave them a trip. Anytime y'all want to send me to Sweden. I've already had number 25. That's fine. 
right? So they sent her to Sweden, and she, Aggie, Anna, now Aggie, had this mission where she wanted to find her dad. And so she searches and searches and searches while they're out over there, and, and they end up finding her dad in, in this run-down apartment, you know, skid row kind of an apartment, and, and he's on his deathbed, and his liver's done, and he's been this alcoholic, and, and she thinks there's no way, you know, and they, so she walks in, she says, Dad, it's me, Anna. And the first words out of his mouth were, I never meant to leave you. I never meant to give you away. Life just got out of control. And so they hugged it out, reconciled the last 50 years of being separated, made the contact with their father, made peace on his deathbed. She gets on the plane. She flies back to Seattle. She lands in Seattle, finds out that while she was in the air, her dad died. A few years later, she attends a national church, international church conference in London. And she's there on the first night, and, and this man from Rwanda gets up and speaks on the first night and begins telling stories of planting churches and reaching people and all that God is doing. And he makes mention that he's from the area where she was born, where her parents were missionaries. So after he speaks, we get done, she goes back to him. She says, ooh, do, do you know this village that I was in? Whatever the name of the do you know this village? He says, I was raised there. No kidding. Do you know the floods? They were missionaries there about 50-something years ago. He goes, yes. Not only do I know the floods, I would bring eggs to Mrs. Flood every day. She would tell me about Jesus. And you know, I don't know that she knew that they had any converts in their entire ministry. After she died, not long after that, I gave my life to Jesus because of her. And you know, they had this girl, the daughter, named Anna. And I always wondered what happened to her. Remember, she was renamed to Aggie. Aggie looks at him and says, I'm Anna. They hugged, they cried. They told stories. And the man looks at her and he says, just a few months ago, I put flowers on your mom's grave. And he says, you know, her parents died thinking everything they did was in vain. Thinking they didn't have any impact on the area. But because of your mom sharing Jesus with me, there are now hundreds of churches, thousands of believers, because your mom ministered to me. And he says, thank you for letting your mom die so so many could live. And can I just tell you, God is never late. No matter what you're going through, no matter if you're wandering in the desert, they ever feel like you're just wandering in the desert? No matter if you're macheting your way through the jungle, anybody ever feel like you're just lost in the jungle? 
If you're just beating your head against the wall and there's just no results, God is working. God has a plan. And that plan may depend on you and your obedience, or it may depend on someone else's. But I want to end with this question. What are you holding on to? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're just not letting go of? What is it that you're just wrapped around the pole and you're not letting go of this thing because you know that you can, and if I do, then, but what if? But if I do, then it can't happen without me. Don't you know who I am? I, it can't, come on, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to so tight that God's just been asking you to let go? God's been dealing with you to let it go. And God's like, if you'll just let it go, I'll bless it. But you're like, but it can't happen without me. Or, Maybe you got a little pride in the way. It says, it can't, not it can't happen without me. I don't want it to happen without me. I am convinced of one thing at this stage of my life more than ever. You know exactly what I'm about to say. Sometimes God opens a door. And we expect the door to be open to the destination and we have finally arrived and we are done and we don't have to look at doors anymore. We don't have to knock on doors anymore. We don't have to walk through doors anymore. But sometimes God opens a door and it's a hallway. And you walk through that door and there's another door for you to walk through. You're never done. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? What is it that God's wanting to do in you, for you, or through you? That you've just been... Come on, take the next step, y'all. Don't you want God to do something great through you? Don't you want to do something greater than you've ever done on your own? You're capable of doing on your own? I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my life. I'm 50. I am not going to live 50 more years. I hope. I don't want to. Right? I want to spend what I have left making the biggest impact I can make. If you know anything about my story and what I'm doing right now, what I'm going through, you know that I am putting my money where my mouth is. I don't know about you, but I'm going to live in the mission field. I'm going to do whatever God's called me to do. And if he opens the door, I'm going to walk through it. But you got to be careful. Got to be careful. Because every opportunity that comes your way ain't from God. And I said it that way on purpose. 
I get, I get southern when I get spiritual. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. What are you holding on to? So this is the time of reflection. The team's going to come down. They're going to be here to pray with you, to pray for you. I'd encourage you to take part in that. But this is a personal time. It's a reflection. Maybe you're sitting through this and like, hey, God ain't calling me to do nothing. Then you need to spend time with him because he's got a job for you to do. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, stop talking now because you're uh, stepping on my toes. Then just surrender. Let God have his way. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray, Lord, that whatever we're holding on to, we'd surrender to you. God, I think that rich young ruler got to the end of his life and he became the old rich ruler. And I think his greatest regret was not following you. Holding on to his way of life. God, I don't want to be guilty of that. God, I want to follow. Give me the strength and the wisdom to do. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. We will see you next week. Have a great week. Go be the church this week, will you? It starts now.